Well, again, uh, I am uh, I'm Pastor Chris. I guess um, that means that I'm one of the pastors here at South Point, and I, I'm typically at our, our McDonough location, but I am so glad to be here with you this morning opening God's Word uh, together as we conclude our, our series on the spiritual gifts. But a little bit about me, if you don't know, uh, it was about 16 years ago uh, that I moved to Louisville, Kentucky to go to Bible college. And, and let me first say this, um, I am so incredibly grateful to God for that experience. It was uh, tremendous in my life. It was some of the most formative times in my life. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But in saying that, there were some traits that I picked up those first couple of years in Bible college that were rather hard to break. I I remember uh, sitting in one of the first seminary chapels uh, as soon as we got to campus, and I had just heard what I thought was the most incredible sermon on the book of Jonah that I've ever heard. The preacher stood up there, he opened God's word, and he preached through that book like none other I had ever heard. And so we get back to the dorm after seminary chapel that day, and man, these 18, 19-year-old guys all getting together to talk about this sermon, I was like, man, this is going to be so good. And they just start ripping that guy's sermon to pieces. I can't believe he preached like that. I can't believe that he said this. He messed that whole thing up. And I, what? What in the world? I just, I just heard an amazing sermon. I, I'm, on, I'm on fire for the Lord. I was, I was so confused. So confused. I, I remember soon after that, we had a dorm meeting. They're, they were late at night on Monday nights, and all the students... Uh, of the Bible college had to gather together, and, uh, and actually the pastor of the church that I was attending up there came to speak, and he spoke on Luke chapter 5, and I still remember it to this day. It's the passage where the friends are lowering the crippled man into, uh, you know, into the roof so that they can see Jesus, and I remember that night the pastor said, here's the point. The point is that we must be willing to do anything we can to get our friends to Jesus. Anything we can to get our friends to Jesus. And I wasn't going to be caught off guard like I was last time. So when the, when the guys started talking about the sermon, as we always did, as soon as any sermon that we listened to was over, you know what I started saying? Can you believe that guy destroyed that passage? I started acting just like the other guys. Everybody else who had heard the same sermons, and it just felt good to feel like I was superior to those men who were standing up, opening God's word, and giving us his scriptures. It was okay, I thought. I was, I was a gifted teacher at age 19. And not only that, man, I had so much knowledge, right? I was in my first semester of Bible college. I knew everything there was. It was an amazing time in my life. Not only that, I had more knowledge than that brother who was 48 years old who had given his last 30 years to vocational ministry and given up a night away from his family to let some 18 and 19-year-olds hear God's word. I knew more than him. What was he talking about? I had spiritual gifts, and I was simply exercising them for the good of others, right? That's what I was doing. This is how God had gifted me. So it was only right that we would go and critique this man's sermon. If my girlfriend, who is now my wife by the grace of God, 
got something wrong during that time as she spoke theologically. It was my obligation as that 19-year-old boyfriend to tell her exactly how she was wrong. You, you, you know how that probably went, right? But that's how, that's how God had gifted me. I knew exactly what to say. I knew exactly when to say it, and I knew who to say it to. But you know what I didn't realize at the time? As we'll see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning, I didn't realize that if I was using the gifts that the Spirit of God had given me without this one thing, without love, the things that I said and did were absolutely useless. That's what the Apostle Paul wants to see this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As we conclude our sermon on spiritual gifts, we can't miss this. Love must be the way in which our spiritual gifts are used in the church as well as the metric of her maturity. Again, love must be the way in which spiritual gifts are used in the church as well as the metric of her maturity. And so I'd like for us, if you're already there with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in your Bible, if you're able, would you stand with me to honor God's word as we read it? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. Or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Even though, even if you're hearing this for the first time in a church building ever, it's likely that you have heard these verses somewhere else before, right? It's read at almost every single wedding ceremony that I've ever been a part of. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that, but perhaps the context is lost on us of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because of such occasions. Because chapter 13 is smack dab in the middles of chapter 12 and 14. And you could have figured that, right? But Paul writes before in chapter 12 and after in chapter 14 on what? Gifts. 
the spiritual gifts. And so that means that chapter 13 is also on spiritual gifts. In fact, we see that love is more important than all the spiritual gifts. Just before this in chapter 12, look there, if you're in the text with me, verse 27, he says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The implicit answer is no. Verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And so we, the reader, must ask that question, what is the more excellent way? What is it? It's love. Love must be the way in which spiritual gifts are used in the church as well as the metric of her maturity. And I I want us to unpack that in three different ways this morning. The first is this. Your spiritual gift, if not used in love, is useless. We see that in the first three verses. Verse 1, again there, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, if you've been with us during this series at all, you've probably heard or come across the, the issues that are going on in the church at Corinth. It's not that this church wasn't gifted enough gifts. No, they had plenty of gifts. In fact, Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 7, that they are not lacking in any gift. So it's not the problem that they don't have enough spiritual gifts so that this would be a whole, complete, functioning body to the glory of God. It's rather that they think that they can operate in the gifts that the Spirit has given them without the fruit of the Spirit, namely love. We can't miss that in the text. There's a lot of folks that are using here in the church at Corinth the gift specifically of tongues within the gathered assembly, but they are using it in a way that alienates all the people that come in off the streets and trying to figure out what's going on in this gathering, and they're alienated. They have, they have no idea. It, it seems like chaos is going on in the midst of this church. They're using this gift and other spiritual gifts in this church to build themselves up instead of the whole church. They're thinking about themselves. How can I use my spiritual gift? How can I make myself look better than others in this church? And what can I do so that I am magnified and I am glorified when we know the body of Christ is to gather so that we would worship and magnify the glory of God in this church? right? So that means if the Spirit of God himself has given us gifts, and he has if you are in Christ, he certainly has done that. When you come and you gather with the church, you're here to serve, lift up, love one another so that God would be glorified, so that others would see our love demonstrated in Christ towards one another. Paul says, exaggeratively, you could speak in every single language known to man. You could even speak in some language that is known to the angels, but if you do not have love, it's useless. It's said in the day that there were these gongs that were used in the Greek temples. 
And so what Paul's essentially saying is this. There are these pagan temples down the street that are using these gongs. And when you come and you gather with the assembled church and you use your spiritual gifts without love, it is as good as those pagans down the street that are banging that gong. It's useless. It's pointless. Paul isn't done making his point. Look there in verse 2 again. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. I think back and I I look at that 18, 19-year-old boy at Bible college and I say, man, you thought that you were giving the gift of knowledge and you had the gift of teaching and perhaps you did, but the way that you went about using that spiritual gift that God had given you upon salvation was useless. It wasn't building anybody up. It was tearing other people down. You can have all these gifts, tongues, prophecy, knowledge, faith, you name it. You have the gift, but if you don't have love, no, it feels like we're continuing to beat a dead horse, but your gifts count for nothing. They mean nothing. I mean, think about it like this. Perhaps uh, several week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Mother's Day, you thought about getting your mother or your wife, the mother of your children, flowers. And if you didn't, don't look at your husband right now if you didn't get those flowers or whatever. I don't, I'm not getting anybody in trouble here, okay? But, but you can imagine getting those flowers and thinking to yourself, man, I have done such a tremendous deed for my wife. I've got her the flowers that she loves, and she's just going to enjoy those things. And so when she walks the, through the door and she sees that bouquet of flowers right there on the counter, she's just going to be elated. She's going to explain to you how much she loves you because you've done such a great thing for her. But say she walks through that door and you find yourself sitting on that living room sofa watching TV. And you say, hey, what's for dinner? That's a bad idea, by the way. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but if that happens... I'm I'm imagining that that gift that you had just spent time and energy on getting, placing in that right particular spot on the counter so that she would see that as soon as she walked in the door, I'm imagining that that gift isn't going to matter much anymore, right? You might as well have forgot about it. Who cares that you got her that? You just demanded something from her as soon as she walks in the room. Fine gift with no love equals what's the point? Paul continues in verse 3, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Listen, if your gifts are to count, if your gifts are to build up the body, this body, the local church that God has placed you in, your internal life must be of great concern to you. It's not just the way that you interact in an obvious way with members in this body. It's also that our internal selves must be of great concern. Why? Because it matters to God. You may know that verse, 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. Paul says, if you could give everything you own away to the poor or to a brother or sister in need of the church, you could die in persecution, but if you do not have love, you have gained nothing. 
Now, many of you have taken the spiritual gifts inventory over the last several weeks. Uh, that's at southpoint.org, and I believe that it's still up there. So if you haven't done that, go ahead and do that today. I think that that has been a, a really helpful thing or tool or instrument for many people in our church. They're not magic. They're not magic, okay? They're not always right. We know that our spiritual gifts are best understood and practiced within the context of community in the local church, but nevertheless, it can be helpful in processing how the Lord might have gifted you for service in this body. So I'm really glad that many of you have taken the assessment, and perhaps even for the first time, you're beginning to consider, what does it look like for me to be a healthy member of this church? What does it look like for me to, to think outside of myself for the good of my brothers and sisters? That's incredibly encouraging. But as, as I was reading through these verses, it struck me. Imagine taking that spiritual gifts inventory, and as you begin to read through your top highest three spiritual gifts, another box popped up on the screen. And it said that you had one more question to take. And so that question pops up on the screen and it says, are you operating in a spirit of love within your church? And so you think to to yourself for just a moment, "Ah, no. You click no, no. What happens to that spiritual gifts inventory? It just goes away. It's erased. What does it matter that you are operating in the spiritual gifts that the Spirit of God has given you if you're not operating out of the fruit of the Spirit? That is love. The fruit of the Spirit, specifically love, is essential in using the gifts of the Spirit. Without the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit are useless. With that, I think it's important to note that the spiritual gifts are still operational even if you don't operate in love. It's why the Corinthian church is in the mess that they are. Lots of usage of the spiritual gifts, but no love. This should help us function in the body as we see one of our members operating in a sinful way. If you see yourself, if you see a brother or sister operating in a a sinful way, oftentimes we can look at each other and we can think, especially those that have more highly visible gifts within the church, we think, I guess, I guess there's nothing wrong with that individual. I guess I guess even though it appears that they're in sin, that they're not actually in sin because they continue operating in highly gifted ways. So as we round out these three verses, your gift or gifting does not free you to live however you want, but rather Christ has freed you. And the Spirit has gifted you to live in service to others out of love according to his word. Your spiritual gift, if not used in love, is what? useless. You got that. We got that, right? Second, your spiritual gift is to be rooted in the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 4, look there in the text with me. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Now, before we get too far into this text, what is the type of love that the Apostle Paul is referencing here? He isn't talking about that philia love, that, that brotherly love that's exhibited between friends, or he's not talking about this eros love, the romantic love demonstrated by lovers. He's talking about agape love, 
The kind of love that one author writes is the generous move by one individual for the sake of another. It refers to, hear this, a parent's willingness to do everything for an infant that does little more than disrupt sleep, spit up, mess its diaper, and cry for food. It refers to an individual's willingness to care for his or her parents as they grow older and are unable to feed, bathe, or even dress themselves. It refers to a friend's willingness to step in and leverage all of his or her resources to help someone who's going through a difficult time. In the, in the first century, Christians actually took this Greek word agape and they redefined it and then insisted that this agape love that is for the sake of another, on one another's behalf, it's to permeate every single relationship that we have. That husbands were actually to agape their wives, not just romantically love their wives, not just brotherly love their wives, but to unconditionally love their wives. Christians were to agape one another in community. Christians were to agape, the scripture says, even their enemies. It was agape love that would see the marriage relationship through every imaginable circumstance till death do us part. It was agape love that would unite the church under one banner, Christ. It was agape love that would turn enemies into friends and transform culture. And this agape love is the type of love that has existed within the Trinity for all time. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they agape love one another. Let's be honest, though. Aren't we a bit jaded when we talk about love today? I don't know about you, but we use love. I use love to define a lot of things. I, I love uh, coffee in the mornings, right? Maybe you said that before. Or you love the fact that you don't drink coffee like everybody else. We, we love all sorts of things. Uh, one author says, love is the most confusing word. We use it in a thousand ways. We say, I love hot dogs. And in the next breath, we say, I love my mother. We speak of loving activities or objects. Some of you talk about loving animals. Nature, we love people, mother, father, son, daughter, parents, wives, husband, and friends. And if that isn't confusing enough, we also use it to explain behavior. It's inconsistent with the scriptures. I did it because I love her, says a man who's involved in an adulterous relationship. God calls it sin, but what do you call it? Love. The wife of an alcoholic picks up the pieces after her husband's latest episode. Some call it codependency, but she calls it love. The parent indulges all the child's wishes. Some call it irresponsible parenthood, but the parent says it's love. If this is what we think of love, no wonder it's difficult to demonstrate that and live that out in community with one another in a group of people that are gathered together who are also sinful people. Thankfully, Paul defines what this kind of love is to look like, and so he gives us this next section of Scripture. Again, he says this, love is patient. Love is patient. As opposed to the way that this church had been acting in communion, 
where some had been going ahead of the poor people in the church. They had been going and feasting in this agape feast. They had been taking all of the communion elements so that others were left out of the meal. Patience is other-oriented. Patience means that you have a long fuse, and not just for situations that happen in your life, but that you have a long fuse for others in this church body. Like other people that are really annoying. Other people that talk way too much in a discussion when you get get in it with them. Others that don't show up in the way that you think that they should show up. That kind of long fuse. Love is patient, Paul says. It's the kind of patience that's needed in discipleship relationships in our church. It's the kind of patience that's needed in DNA groups who just don't seem to get it sometimes. There's members in each one of our groups that just don't seem to be as committed as you are. That's the patience that's needed in the body of Christ with those members who keep falling into the same sin over and over again. Love is kind, Paul says. It frees us to serve others. It does not envy or boast. Some in the church were going around picking their favorite teachers. I I follow Paul. I follow Apollos, they were saying. Some in the church might be picking here. Man, I, I, I like this other team of preachers. I'm team Michael. I'm team Mark. I'm team Chris. I'm team Jeff. You name it, that's the guy that I want to be preaching. Get into this thing. Others were boasting in who baptized them. Many in the church were boasting in their gift of tongues, as I already have mentioned. Look at this tremendous gift that I have. To which Paul rhetorically questions in first rhetorically questions in 1 Corinthians 1:13. Is Christ divided? Love is not arrogant or rude. It's not self-centered, but rather other-centered. By the way, if you don't know this already today, uh, is it's Pastor Michael's birthday. So happy, happy birthday, Michael. But as I was thinking about this text this morning, I was like, okay, it's Michael's birthday. What is something that Michael needs? He needs gift cards to Sam's Club to buy more meat to smoke on his green egg, right? <laughs> so if, if you're thinking, how can I serve my brother? That's how you can serve my brother. But, but I say that. Uh, in jest, but also this, because when I think about Michael, I think, man, this brother who loves to smoke meat on the green egg, if you know him, that's a, it's a cool thing. But you know what? He doesn't ever use that for his self only. He always gets a bunch of meat at Sam's Club. He smokes it on a smoker, and he always invites other people to eat of it. In fact, two nights ago, he invited I don't know who he invited over to his house. He had somebody over to his house, and then he called me and said, I have more meat, so would you guys like to come over the next night? So we're the second people. That's cool. It's still good, it's still good because Michael smoked it, right? But I just think, like, okay, here is something that you like and enjoy to do. How can I use that? How can I leverage that passion and gift, even though that is an ability for others in our very church? What has God gifted you to do? And how can you build one another up in love with that gift? Verse 5, love does not insist on its own way. The one that always gets me, it's not irritable or resentful. Irritable here, 
basically has this idea with it that there is always this anger right under the surface that is just always ready to bubble up at any moment's notice. You're driving down the road and somebody does something to you in traffic that you never would have done to anybody else on the road. They did it to you and you're just ready to just give them everything that you have. Sitting there, waiting to bubble up over the surface. Love isn't irritable, Paul says. Love does not insist on its own way. Verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It said, love is truth exalting. It never compromises the truth. True love, it always stands up for the truth, even if it's painful. True love actually sometimes says the hard things. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I think this is where the church, Christian love, is to really shine. Because our love, as demonstrated by Jesus himself, is naturally optimistic. Love looks at people and hopes and believes that God can and will work for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. The Christian is to be the most optimistic because we are a people who know all too well what it means to be brought from death to life, right? We, of all people, know what it's like to be going in rebellion, living in rebellion towards a holy God, living apart from him and his ways and God in his kindness and mercy seeking us out, demonstrating his love to us so that we might be freed up to love him and to demonstrate it to others. We are to believe the best about our brothers and sisters in this common faith. Our love for one another, Jesus said, is the way that the world is also going to see that we are his. So what does that mean practically? I just think one way, it always comes to my mind, is the way that we communicate with one another for a watching world to see. And the way that I know that it is most obvious to a watching world are the things that we post on social media, right? And so here's the deal. We have been in one of the most tumultuous climates politically, economically, you name it. It's just been crazy this last year, right? Anybody else feel that? It's been wild. You've probably seen it too. It's heartbreaking how members of our own church have communicated with one another on social media. And they may not be just members of our church, but they are other people that you know who proudly wear the badge of Christian, who identify as Christians in this world. And they, when they see something that they don't agree with, they just begin to attack their brother or sister right in front of everybody else to see. Here's what Christian love is. Christian love does not mean that you do not disagree with someone else. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you just let it go, everything that there is, because there are times that we are absolutely to come in with truth. Again, Christians love and we rejoice in the truth, right? But Christian love is demonstrated in, in a social media post going awry and saying, brother, uh, could we just get together to meet up and share a meal together so that I could hear your heart? And that, that 
you could hear my heart and so that we could talk about the scriptures together? Wouldn't that be a different thing for the watching world to see instead of us just totally demolishing one another so that everyone else can say, what in the world are they doing? The church is eating ourselves alive. Wouldn't it be something if we got together in our disagreement and love one another through it under the banner of Christ is love. He's given us his word for our good and our edification so that we might know him and love him more. Let's search the scriptures out together over a meal. We're to be the most optimistic people. Your spiritual gift is to be rooted in the, in the fruit of the spirit. And finally, your spiritual gift is pointing to a greater reality. That's where we've been moving this entire time. What is the point of the spiritual gifts? Especially if they're passing away, the scripture says. Paul now moves on to the finiteness of the spiritual gifts as opposed to love. Look at what he writes in verse 8. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. The gifts are passing away, but love will not Get this, the Corinthians needed to see this. We need to see this. Love will continue to and into eternity. These gifts are temporary, and it doesn't mean that they don't have any value. They absolutely do. The Corinthians had put an emphasis on many good things in their church. The ministries that they were a part of, I'm sure, were excellent. The gifts that they were demonstrating were good. They had been given to them by the Holy Spirit, but they had forgotten about the more excellent way, what matters most. Listen to verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Even as important as the spiritual gifts are, which is the entire reason that we have done this series, we must keep them in their proper context. Someday in the future... And we long for that day to come. Jesus himself, the perfect, is going to return for his bride, who is the church. And when he does, the scripture says, there will be no more need for these spiritual gifts. They've just been pointing us to that very reality that one day Jesus is going to return. So don't miss paying more attention to the characteristic that will forever remain, that is love. Paul illustrates this beginning in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. That last verse. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. How do we get love? Love is a genuine result of believing in the gospel. 1 Peter 1, 18 starts this, and it says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 
Spiritual gifts are good, but they are nothing without love. The love chapter, as it's often referred to, is not to be looked at as some kind of spiritual checklist. As though, okay, I'm going to write all of these things out, and I have finished the first one. My love is patient now. Check. I've got it. Let's go on to the next one. No, it is to serve as a director of our attention to the greater reality that is Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we are not just to say this is what love is, but to say this is who Jesus is. And this is how the church is to operate in love as Christ Jesus himself has perfectly demonstrated for us in the cross. I don't think that we're supposed to get to the end of the, the, the checklist in chapter 13 and think, man, oh, not bad. Chris, I mean, at the end of the day, when compared to other people in the rest of your church, decent. If I, if I had to say pass or fail, man, you, you may almost fail, but you kind of passed. Good job. That's not what we're supposed to do when we look at such a list. No, it's supposed to get us to stop and say, I am nothing without Christ. I couldn't do this. I am not a loving person. If I had to examine my last day of life, I would have to say, am I, am I patient? No. Am I kind? No. Am I arrogant or boastful? Yes. It's not, it's not so that we would look at it and say, you've done a good job, but so that we would look and say, what a great Christ. If I have no love, I have no love if I do not have Christ. For in Christ, what is it that we see? We see in Christ. Look, look back there with me in the text. That love is patient and kind. We see in Christ that love does not envy or boast, right? It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things, endures all things. True love is Christ sitting with his enemies and making them his friends. True love is Christ laying down his life and dying on the cross for our sins. As John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. True love is Christ extending forgiveness to his enemies, even as they nailed him to a wooden cross he says in Luke chapter 23, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. In love, bearing all things. I wonder how we get the notion that love won't be difficult. That I'll, I'll bear with this brother just a little longer. I'm going to give him a few more weeks. I'll give him two more months. I'll bear with him that long, but at that point, I'm going to stop. I can't bear with him any longer. Christ 
literally bore his father's wrath. He came up under a sin, a weight that he did not need to bear because he was perfect. It was a weight that you and I deserved to come up under for all eternity, and he bore it on our behalf. And so when we think about brothers and sisters in our own church, we should not be a people who think, I can only bear with her just a little while longer. Think, what are the, what are the depths that Christ has endured so that I might have life? What kind of weight did he bear up under so that I could know forgiveness? True love is Christ spending tireless mornings and afternoons and evenings with needy mobs that had absolutely nothing to give him in return. True love is Christ reaching out to the blind, crippled, leprous, and diseased. Believer, when the father looks at us, he doesn't see this long list of sins. He sees his son. He looks and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He says, we're dearly loved children of God in Christ. And as recipients of that love, we have the opportunity, we have the privilege of demonstrating it to others. Brothers and sisters, by all means, you have been implored over this last several weeks to go and to use the spiritual gifts that the Spirit of God has given you. That is good and right. You should do that in this local church or if you're trying to figure out if this is the local church for you and you figure out that that's not, go and be a part of a local church that you can use the gifts that the Spirit of God has given you because this body or another body is missing out when you aren't operating in the gifts that God has given you. Our body is missing out on something spectacular, supernatural even, when you aren't using the gifts that you've been given. You've been gifted for this body, but do not forget, as we've been implored this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, to operate out of love and in love for God and others. And so I just have a few questions for us as we close. The first is this, and it would be more of a warning. Have you mastered your spiritual gift without the Spirit's fruit? Have you mastered using your spiritual gifts, again, that God has actually given you in this church without operating in love? Second, is there anyone in this church whom you have served with your giftings, but you've ruined by your lack of love. And I'll take that a, a, a step further. Is there anyone in your home that you've ruined with the gifts that God has given you by your lack of love? And finally, when confronted with a lack of love, where will you turn? Listen, this should be all of us. If it's not today, it'll be tomorrow or the next day that we realize, you know what, I, I haven't been loving. I'm not operating in the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not operating in the way that Christ Jesus has demonstrated his love for me, laying my life down for the sake of others. 
If you're yielded to the Spirit, you will absolutely be confronted at some point, even today probably, by your lack of love. Sure, it'll look different for everyone. For some of us, it will be incredibly obvious. Your words, they're sharp and they cut. And so as you speak, others around you are are apt to say, man, you are not loving. Sister, you are not loving. But for others, maybe, maybe it's not something so obvious. It might be your irritableness. And when no one else is looking, you just think the craziest things about other people in our church under your breath. Nobody else sees it. Nobody else knows it. But the Lord, he doesn't look at the outward things of man. He looks at the heart. He knows. And so when you're confronted with a lack of love, the question is this, where will you turn? So as we conclude this morning and take communion as the saints here at South Point take every single Sunday, that is the question before us. Because I think that it is in the communion meal that we're able to answer that question squarely in the face. When I am confronted as a Christian in my lack of love, because it's there, because we have it, do I turn to excuses? Do I turn to blame shifting? Do I turn to unfavorable circumstances in my life? If this thing wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't have reacted that way. If my boss wasn't like this, I would be a completely different employee. If my pastor wasn't how he is, I'd be a much better church member. Will you run there? Or will you run to Christ? Who knew exactly who you were. A sinner who was rebelling against a holy God. Who could have never attained a right relationship on our own. And as Romans 5, 8 says, he still demonstrated love for us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. That's where we should turn. And so if you're confronted with your sin this morning, repent. Repent while it is still today. Turn to Christ. He has offered forgiveness, tremendous forgiveness for us, even today. And would we turn there together? Would we recognize that it is in the love of Christ that we are built up, that we could operate now and for all eternity? And so if you're in Christ, I'd ask that you participate with us. I would want you as the scripture would implore us to search your heart. If there are others in this church that you have wronged, or that you have damaged because of your lack of love for them, and you are aware of it, the Spirit of God is making you aware of it this moment, before you partake in this meal, would you just go and make it right with them? Would you go and see that they too would be built up in love and that we would be an operating church, fully operating, healthy, and whole together?
And if you're in Christ, would you take with me? It's in this meal that we remember the body of Christ broken for you. As we partake of the juice, we remember the blood of Christ poured out for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us the chance to gather together with other believers this morning. God, we pray that you help us not to take this meeting for granted. That you have given us uh, this gift of gathering for your saints so that we could demonstrate the love that you have shown perfectly toward us in Christ Jesus to one another for our good and so that this church would be built up in love that it would be glorifying to you that it would be that we would be as your people sweet smell a glorious sound God I pray right now that by your spirit you would continue to search our hearts that you would help us to see the areas of love in our life that we are incredibly lacking and that we would not run to ourselves to fix it, to find the answer, that we would not run to blame others, but that we would run to your son Christ, who's taken our shame, he's taken our penalty, he's bore our guilt upon himself on the cross, and when he said it was finished, it was done. relationships with you. We have a new heart. We're new creations. And we long for the day that Christ returns for his church. So these spiritual gifts that you have given us by your spirit will be no more. We will see face to face. God, help us to understand that now as we operate within this church, as we operate within our home, within our workplaces. And God, we pray it would be all for your glory. I pray for the individual or the many here today that have never considered their sin before you, a holy God. I pray that you might grab them by your spirit, that you might draw them to yourself, that they would repent of their sins and that they would trust in Christ Jesus by faith even now so that they could be restored to relationship with they could understand not only love from you, but love to others like never before. We thank you for this time and we love you. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.